0: What a day. What a day. Happy Holy Octave of Christmas. My name is Jesse Romero. I am the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady, and as Catholics, we are are mourning the loss of, in my opinion, the greatest—I'm 61 years old, so I'll just put that out there—he's been the greatest pope in my lifetime— uh, that's just my personal reflections, and I'll tell you why later on. Terry, are you on duty? I'm my on friend? duty,
1: and I got Matt Arnold, our our coast on the other line here. With awesome. Us. All three of us are here now. Yes, uh, I am the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady. And I too, Jesse, I'm in my mid-sixties, and I would say he's the by by far uh, the most influential Pope in my life. And I have re- many reasons why I say that. Matthew Arnold, welcome to our show, brother.
2: Thank you. Great to be here. You guys are cutting up a little bit. I hope I'm coming through okay. You are? Um, yeah. I just wanted to say, putting my two cents on regardless to Benedict XVI, that I don't think that people realize how important, how crucial an architect of John Paul II's pontificate that he really was, how much influence he had over those years, 27 years as well.
1: Well said. As a matter of fact, I won't make a comment, but what you just said reminded me of Father Murray, who was just on Fox News commenting, and he said that many times Benedict would disagree with John Paul II on a particular topic, and Hmm. uh, he always would say, okay, you're the boss, but I just want to give you my take on it, and I respect him for that, because that's not easy to do.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you, I just uh, found out just by reading the life of Pope Benedict that one of the areas where he uh, he disagreed with uh, Pope John Paul II was on the Assisi conferences. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. he told mm. them, not, boss, not oh, a good, good idea. Let's not go down that route. And again, they just disagreed on that, but he always deferred to authority yeah. because he was a man of the church. He was a faithful son of the church, and so he said, okay, boss... Uh, here's the reasons why I think we shouldn't go down that route, but you make the final call. And he, he just stepped back when John Paul II would make the final call. But that was one of the the, the areas where I know they both had vehement disagreements uh, on that issue, the Assisi conferences. And I think, again, I think uh, as we look at history, I think uh, Pope Benedict was right in that regard. I, I don't think it's borne any good fruit.
1: No, it hasn't. You know, mm-hmm. Jesse, another point uh, from the very outset of Pope Benedict's pontificate He referenced uh, abortion as, just like John Paul II, as a, you know, when they stop killing babies, I'll stop talking about it. But he said, Mm -hmm. as the Pope, and this is very important, he said, I cannot proclaim my own personal ideas, but rather constantly bind myself to the Church and to the obedience of God's Word in the face of every attempt to adapt it or water it down in every form of opportunism. He said, this adherence to divine law was shown by my predecessor, Pope John Paul II, and said Benedict in his own defense of the unborn. I think that's important today because I don't think that's being implemented as clearly as it was with John Paul II and Benedict today in the sense of, we cannot change, and you can't, but, but we have people in the church today and high officials wanting to do just the opposite.
2: Yeah, and that's true, you know, uh, and on that note also, talking about him giving you what the church teaches as opposed to you know uh, Joe Ratzinger's opinion, was uh, regarding the death penalty and saying that that you know he made it very clear as prefect of the CDF that abortion and capital punishment are not morally equivalent that that good catholics can disagree regarding the application of the death penalty but nobody can disagree regarding the uh, you know the innocent uh, that abortion yeah the, that taking an innocent life is always wrong
1: you got it well said
0: One of the things things that impressed me also about Pope Benedict XVI. Hey, by the way, let's just say a quick prayer for him since we're talking about him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: Eternal rest granted to Pope Benedict, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon him. May the soul of Pope Benedict, through the mercy of God, rest in peace, Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. One of the things that you'll find... Even his enemies, even the people that disliked him, one of the things that they say about him is that he was a man of, not only was he a man of the church, but he was a man of great humility. And I say that because even in the face of being a Pope, and again, he was a theologian at heart. He just always liked to muse about theology. He, was, he wrote a book, a trilogy of books called Jesus of Nazareth. And when he finished reading the book, you know, he actually told everybody, you know, he, he he's put it openly that everyone is free then to contradict me i would only ask my readers for that initial goodwill without which there can be no understanding i i don't know many people that has the office of a pope that Mm -hmm. would write something and tell the entire world oh by the way if you you disagree with my exegesis on on this book you're free to contradict me just do it with charity (laughs) that 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 is deep humility because first of all uh I'm not even fit to tie this guy's intellectual sandals, much less to quote mm. any academic, uh, academic books that he writes. But again, he just put that out in the open as one, of the most, uh, as one of the most learned men on planet Earth. He had four earned PhDs. He said, hey, if you disagree <laughs> with my book, go ahead, and, go ahead and criticize me. Just do it with charity.
1: Matthew, uh, talk, yeah, about, I, I, talk I, I, about humility. Before you yeah. jump in, Matthew, there was a saint that you have a great love for who said, if you want to be a saint... You need humility, humility, and humility. Who mm. was that, Matt?
2: <laughs> that, that would be the the great Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. Exactly. And you know, I I I just wanted to interject. I had the honor, mm-hmm. and I considered it an honor, to uh, produce the audio version of Volume Two of the Jesus of Nazareth books by by Pope Benedict. And and what a joy! Uh, his insights so deep, and I learned so much about our Lord's um, passion that I had I didn't have the first idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and not, not only uh, spiritual insights, but historical and, and, and biblical as well. Yeah. Just, just a tour de force. Uh, yeah, it, absolutely. And, and written on a level, you don't have to be a scripture scholar to understand it. Yeah. Those books are beautiful.
1: Ma- Matthew, let me ask you a question. Back in 2004, and I'm going to go back to 1985 with the Ratzinger Report and later, but in 2004, he was the prefect for the doctrine of faith for many years, 20 some years. He got the blessing of John Paul II to, to intervene in a debate among the U.S. bishops on the issue of Holy Communion for pro-abortion Catholic politicians. He said in his letter titled Worthiness to Receive Holy Communion that a Catholic politician who would vote for permissive abortion and euthanasia laws after being duly instructed and warned must be denied communion. Now, Je- Jesse and Matt, I remember Cardinal uh, McCarrick, no, he did not show that letter to the bishops and he modified it. But my point is, you can't get any clearer. And this is what I really love about Pope Benedict. There was no ambiguity.
2: Right. Yeah. It's hard to mistake his intent.
1: Yep. That's my
2: point. Yes? Yeah. Here's, I I also think that Pope,
0: yeah, he's going to be known uh, in our lifetime again. uh, He's going to be known as a pope who wrote clearly. You can clearly, there, there's no ambiguity in his writings, even again, even a, a high school dropout can read him yep. and say, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it, I know what he's saying, he's saying that homosexual practices are wrong. Exactly. Oh, I get what he's mm-hmm. saying, liberation theology, this is, you know, uh, it's a, you know, Marxism and Catholicism, you know, syncretistically, you know, smashed together, it's wrong. Th- th- this man, he loved the church because he wrote so clearly to us, Why? Because he understood the job of a bishop, even if he's a pope bishop, he understood that his job is to teach, govern, and sanctify. And so he wrote in such a way that even even the rank and file, Joe Sixpack and the Pew, could understand what he's saying. His writings on homosexuality, oh his writings on on on, uh, on gender ideology, again, I think to me he was the pope that he wrote with crystal clear there was no doubt what was right and wrong when you read one of his letters or one of his books
1: well give me an example and now you Jesse. know why
2: they forced him out <laughs>
1: yeah exactly oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesse here's an example yeah. of what he did uh, you know to the European states regarding homosexual marriage he said it has led to the deformation of conscience that's what we have right now that extends beyond the secular realm having penetrated deeply into the world of marriage and the sectors of Catholic people Jesse, fifty percent. Matthew, fifty percent of Catholics say it's okay. Benedict mm-hmm. was spot on.
0: Yeah, I also I also believe that he was prophetic in many instances, oh, uh, whether he knew it or not. Uh, that's besides the point. But he he yeah. said things that were prophetic. Yeah. I'm looking at one here. In 1970, mm-hmm. he said, "Look at this." What he said in 1970, yeah. <laughs> he says, "Popes might make pronouncement." that are inconsistent with the Catholic Church's authentic <laughs> and historic doctrine. Wow. Which would necess- ne- necessitate criticism of those pronouncements. This was done in 1970. Uh, as, Gee, you know, what else Ratzinger. happened in 1970?
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Your thoughts on that?
2: That's powerful. A little, a little something called the Novus Ordo Mise, as I recall. That yeah. came out that same <laughs> year that he Lord made that 69. remark. Um, you know, and I just, I I don't want to hijack anything we don't have enough time in this segment i know and i don't know precisely what your plans are this was kind of you know he he didn't give us a lot of warning that he was going to pass away so so i know we're doing this by the skin of our teeth i know there's people going to call in but i'm hoping in the next segment that we can talk about what is going to go down in history as the most controversial yes. thing to happen during his pontificate, and that's some more pontificate.
1: Absolutely. 2007. Okay, we'll do that when we come yeah. back. I want to make
2: a reference. Terry, like a, take a look at the phone lines so because I know people want to call in and make
1: Oh yeah, make yeah we've got of, uh, Richard's taking a look at that. Yeah. I okay. just want to remind everybody, the 14th of January, coming up in less than two <clears> weeks, <throat> Johnny Romero and myself are going to be at the Sacred Heart Chapel here for an evangelization weekend for Saturday. Please come. You're going to learn a lot about how to share your faith with anyone. You're going to learn how to bring your fallen relatives away, back home to church. You can go on vmpr.org, register online. Unfortunately, you can't call today because everybody's taking the day off except us knuckleheads. So when (laughs) we come back, folks, yes, we're going to talk about the 2007 uh, Mortar Prorium Simorum Pontificum, outlining the reestablishing the legal rights of the traditional Latin Mass. And how controversial was that? Well... We'll have Matt Arnold respond to that one. That's his. That's right up his alley. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're Remembering the life of Pope Benedict XVI, he died at age 95. His funeral is the 5th of this month of of January, 2023. We have Anita Romero on, Jesse's wife. Anita, welcome to our show. Hello, Terry, Jesse, and Matt. Yeah, and Matt. Hey, Anita. We want to have a woman's perspective on Pope Benedict. How did Pope Benedict, you know, how did he affect you personally? And tell us what your thoughts are. Okay, let me
3: tell you my thoughts on uh, I remember when Joseph Aloysius Ratzinger was elected April ninth. <laughs> okay. I, work- I was working at the Los Angeles County Jail Juvenile Hall at- in the infirmary, and when it was announced to who the new pope was, <laughs> all the Catholic nurses we screamed with exhilaration and hugging <laughs> need- each announcement. And it was we were so loud that the probation officers ran into our work area and they they wanted to find out if we needed help and we told
1: them no, no, no. help <laughs> was é- here that's funny <laughs>
3: <laughs> the new Pope was here so that was uh, that was our uh, my experience at the first time i heard of uh, the announcement but what i what i admire most about Be-, pope benedict is Ellis. his determination mm-hmm. to strengthen the catholic church mm-hmm. and denounce modernism yes and that's what we are Right now in the church, I believe is modernism.
1: You got it. You um,
3: will, will also be known as a pope of moral clarity. Uh, oh. There's no ambiguity, ambiguity in his, any of his writings. Um, he, I believe, pope will also. He had a real love for the sacred liturgy. Mm. Um, I mm-hmm. basically right, resurrected the Latin mass yep. and worked his an entire lifetime to implement the actual two Vatican II mass, which was. Which really, let's be honest, has not been implemented in most cases.
1: Right.
3: Um, that, I mean, uh, the Ad Orientum, the mm-hmm. Chant, yep. and the and Doxologies. I mean, that's what's missing a lot of uh, <coughs> our noticeable parishes, right?
1: Amen. So, yes, yes.
3: My final thoughts is as soon as I heard of his passing, I, I like I do if someone's passing, I begin uh, a nine do- day novena. Right. And I think that's what we all do i know we can't be there most of us the majority of us can't be there in rome right you know honor of the positive. but um i think of course with our prayers and prayer for our church especially yes um, and i want to also just remind the, uh, our our listeners if you have ever have never seen a papal uh funeral mass i think this would be the time to to witness that on tv it's just it's amazing. It's amazing. I remember watching, uh, Pope, um, Pope John Paul II's, uh, funeral mass, and it's just, I was just taken aback how beautiful, yep. um, Amen. it was. I think, um, as Catholics, it just makes you proud to be Catholics, and that we're in the true church. In the funeral mass, there's so much order, pomp, and circumstance. <laughs> we have ordered our mass, and it just it's just a just beautiful witness to the world. And I just want to, you know, just thank you for letting me just share oh, my thoughts.
1: Pleasure. We love a woman's perspective, and you nailed yeah. it, girl. I, I was you. with your 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 husband. In 2005, in the back of our house, uh, our apartment, where we used to do yes. the radio. And we were just like, yeah. 2 you know, we were two little kids screaming. And I'm yeah. sure we were jumping. Yes, back.
0: I remember. Terry.
1: You do too, Jesse, don't you? Yeah, we were
0: jump, jumping up like if it was, I don't know, some of uh, a football like, game that we just won the
1: World Series. Or, yeah, exactly. Or, or go, you know, whatever game it was, Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, Anita, thank you for your input on that. I really appreciate you calling in on that. Thanks so much. Yeah. Let me share my thoughts. You Thank got it, girl. Guys. Thank
2: you. Your- bye bye. God, God bless.
1: All right, Matthew, let's talk about <laughs> July 7th, 2007. Why is that date going to go down in infamy?
2: <laughs> all right. Give me give me a couple of minutes. You got it. And I'm going to hit with some quotes and we're going to see a pattern emerge.
1: Okay.
2: Back in 1977, 76, 77, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, pre Doctrine of the Faith and all that, said, I am convinced that the crisis in the church that we are experiencing today. Is to a large extent due to the disintegration of the liturgy. Amen. Mm. That's seven years after the introduction of the new (laughs) missal. And by the way, I have no animus against the against the new mass. And 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 I say that especially in light of the way that Benedict celebrated mass, especially as pope. Yes. I mean, if they if they did the Novus Ordo that way at my local parish, I would never have sought out the traditional (laughs) mass in the first place. Yes, that's a fact. You know. Yeah. Uh, Right. Anyway. So that's 77. Uh, you, you Fast forward to 1988, about 11 years later, he's giving, he's, con- you know, CDF. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is after the whole Lefebvre affair. And he's in Chile lecturing the bishops there. We're trying to smash the the traditional Latin mass movement. <clears throat> and he brought up Vatican II. And he said, you know, it Vatican II chose to remain on a humble level as a merely, merely his word, not mine, mm-hmm. pastoral council. And... Uh, and you've made it into some kind of super dogma that transcends all the rest, mm. right? And his point was is that, that Second Vatican II didn't say anything about abolishing the old mass, right? right? Now, you flash ahead to 1997, and he's doing the uh, Salt of the Earth
1: I remember with that Peter
2: Seewald, right? Uh, which we produced the audio version That's of right. that, as
1: I recall. Uh, we did.
2: And, and he said, I am of the opinion to be sure that the old rights should be granted much more generously to all who desire it. And he said, and you got to listen to this, it's impossible, impossible to see what could be dangerous or unacceptable about that. Wow. He says, a community is calling its very being into question when it suddenly declares that what until now was its holiest and highest possession is strictly forbidden and makes the longing for it seem downright indecent.
1: Incredible.
2: Okay. Now, flash ahead, yet another Ten years, and it's 2007, and he's the Pope, and he puts out the motu proprio, and everybody is familiar with a very famous quote: "What was great and sacred, you know, uh, remains great and sacred, right, right? and can't be suddenly forbidden or even considered harmful." These are these are his words. Lesser known quote from that document: He says, "It is known, in fact, that the Latin liturgy of the Church in its various forms in each century of the Christian era has been a spur to the spiritual life of many saints." has reinforced many peoples in the virtue of religion and fecundated, that is to say, made fruitful, fruitful yeah. their piety. Mm-hmm. All right. But why? Why do they hate it so much? Why is he defending it so strongly? Great you have to, you got to dig deeper. You got to dig all the way. If you're looking for a quote, mm-hmm. this is in 2001, and he spoke to a, a, a French um, conference of liturgists, mm-hmm. right, at, at Fongenbon, and says, and here's the smoking gun, kids. A sizable party of Catholic liturgists seems to have practically arrived at the conclusion that Luther, rather than Trent, was substantially right in the sixteenth century. Can you repeat
1: that? That is a, uh, an unbelievable <laughs> statement. Come on.
2: A sizable party of Catholic liturgists. That and he, we're talking priests and bishops. We're yes, not talking about Karen at, at your local no, parish, no, okay? <laughs> or hi, Susan <laughs> from the parish council. We're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, Catholic liturgist seems to have practically arrived at the conclusion that Luther, rather than Trent, was substantially right in the 16th century debate. What debate is that? It's the Eucharistic debate. He says yeah. one can detect much the same position in the post-conciliar discussions on the priesthood, mm. right? That they're more with Luther than with Trent. Of course. He says well, it, is, yeah. it is only against this background of the effective denial of the authority of Trent— that the bitterness of the struggle against allowing the celebration of Mass according to the 1962 Missal after the liturgical reform can be understood. Wow. The possibility of so celebrating constitutes the strongest and thus for them the most intolerable contradiction of the opinion of those who believe that the faith in the Eucharist formulated by Trent has lost its value.
1: Without putting
2: putting words into his mouth, what he just said is the reason they hate the old mass is because they no longer believe what the church teaches about the Eucharist. Absolutely That
0: that makes sense. And by the way, going back to what you said about Luther, in case uh, people forgot, back on October 13th, 2016, Pope Francis (laughs) enthroned a a statue of Luther at the Vatican. And there's photo ops of him next to luther he enthroned a statue of luther had high uh you know laudable things to say about him and on that day by the way he didn't say one public thing to honor our lady of fatima that was october thirteenth, two 2016. just Just thought thought i'd just put that out for the record
1: and and jesse and matt isn't it true that martin luther uh when he did his reforms he wanted to introduce something that's a an anomaly that now is common in the catholic church communion in the hand
2: right well, and that's the thing. Communion in the hand was very clearly instituted by Luther and the reformers to help destroy
1: and it has. faith
2: in in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And it's, it's yeah, and, and it's worked. Familiarity breeds contempt. How many Catholics now, uh, in in the you know rank and file Catholics that go to the the uh, the ordinary form of the mass, is something only like thirty percent of them believe in, yeah. in the real presence. Yeah. You know, we, we're we're having a a Eucharistic revival in our country right now being led by the bishops. But that Eucharistic revival isn't just about people, you know, worshiping Christ in the sacrament. It's about getting people to believe in it at all. It's incredible.
1: Actions speak louder than words, brother.
2: There it is.
0: By by the way, going back to Luther, not to beat a dead horse, uh, Pope Francis also dedicated... (laughs) I only uh, wish he
2: was a dead horse.
0: (laughs) Pope Francis dedicated uh, this uh, central part in the roman square it's called piazza martin lutero it's uh again it's a, about a 3.7 mile section in rome uh it's a plaza that he dedicated and named you it after martin luther the the,
2: in the vatican plaza now
0: yeah how did, did how did i miss that yeah well it's, it's all it's over all, the internet it's all in the internet. i'm sure yeah yeah wow yeah and it, well just in case people don't know who he was this guy was a priest, <clears air attack, throat> eratech uh revolutionary uh yeah this guy was uh this guy was bad news and uh, again, parts of the Vatican now uh, it says uh, a square in the Roman uh, plaza and a statue by this Pope has been dedicated to Martin Luther, who's probably done more to destroy Christianity than single-handedly than anybody else.
1: I'd like to talk a little bit about his book, 1985, the Ratzinger report, and how it exposed uh, situations in the Church, like what Matt just did. But that book really touched me in a way that opened my eyes to see that we're in a battle. For the church we have liberals and we have conservatives if you want to use political i'll use i'll use theological we have um heterodox and orthodox people in the church and who's going to push their agenda and i think that book opened my eyes and i know it opened maybe jesse's too and matt if you had a chance to talk on that and then we've got dan schneider calling in we've got mary danielle my wife calling in especially on this biblical studies Put them on. Put them on. And uh, yeah, we'll get those on. But I do want to, Matt. Are uh, you, you? You did check out on uh, Jesse. You did read the Ratzinger report. Both yeah. of you.
2: Yes. I, oh yeah, forever ago. Yeah. But yeah. yeah.
1: But that book really had a, had had an influence. I I like what also that Pope Benedict you talked about the liturgy. Another book I would recommend is the Spirit of the Liturgy that was published later in this last century by Ignatius Press because uh, he had a comment in that book that said if you have people clapping at the end of Mass. You know they didn't get it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, it says it right in the book. Yeah, that, that, that's a paraphrase, but yeah, that's it. I it's a paraphrase. That, that's but that's, that's all meant. I know of it. They to didn't
1: do. get it. <laughs> they didn't get it. Yeah, I talk. You know what I talk? I'm sorry. I talk smack <laughs> a little bit, but
0: Why? Well, I guess they they didn't they didn't hear the documents on Eucharistic revival. Yeah, really. Yeah. When we yeah, come
1: back, yeah. we'll have more of our radio guests chatting in about Pope Benedict the 16th and what it did what he did for them and the church you're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show, actually on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, I'd like to say we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family. We'll talk more about the death of hope. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. I have Mary Barber, my wife, on the line, and we're going to talk to her. But Matthew, I want to give you a little head start to think about something. In 2009, Pope Benedict XVI announced the revoking of the excommunications of the bishops consecrated by Archbishop Lefebvre and the Society of St. Pope Pius X. We have at the SSPX, uh, that they left in 1998. And I'd like to ask your thoughts, and you, Jesse, also on that. Mary Barber, my faithful bride, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Yes. Because of your biblical background, how how did Pope Benedict touch you? And give us your thoughts about the passing of Pope Benedict.
4: Well, God is so good, and he blesses his church, and God is in charge of his church. (laughs) And I, I just want to really encourage people. When Pope Benedict was pope, I was encouraged by a priest that we know, a very good priest, Father William Wagner, to read his encyclicals and his apostolic exhortations, uh, saved in Hope, Charity and Truth, Sacrament of Charity. And as I was reading them, I was thinking this should be standard high school textbook material that all students in Catholic schools should be reading this. All students in CCD should be reading this because the church exists in a historical context, just like Amen. the Bible was written in a historical context. And Pope Benedict outlines that context and he gives us the insights to see. What's going wrong in our world and how we as Christians should combat it. And I I just want to make another comment. His book on the Mass, and I was so moved when I was reading his book on the Mass, and he talks about that phrase, Mysterium Fide. And he explains that after the consecration, when the priest says Mysterium Fide, the priest should know and all the people should know that that phrase does not refer to the antiphon the people say. It refers to the mystery that has just taken place on the altar.
2: Amen. And Thank you.
4: From a biblical from a biblical scholarship point of view, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the the entire Paschal mystery that is presented to us sacramentally, the unbloody sacrifice, because Christ is not crucified again, the risen, ascended, glorified Christ as he exists in heaven, the victim who immolated himself, who lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love, offers himself and this is the mystery of faith and thank you Pope Benedict thank you God for giving us Pope Benedict and we pray for the repose of his soul we hope he's in heaven and if he's not Lord take him there soon please God
1: amen yes. Mary the book you're referring to is the spirit of the liturgy last thing I just want to get your take on because you're I, I value you and not just because you're my bride but I also value your insights on the scripture. What about the Jesus of Nazareth books that he wrote? Didn't that really affect you? Because I I know, because I I was there when we were reading them. So give us your thoughts on that. Right,
4: and I I used those in my biblical studies when I was doing my master's degree. I use those books. And the beautiful thing about it is Pope Benedict did not write those books as Pope, saying, this is what the Church teaches. He said, I'm writing these as a theologian. This is my theological reflection on the Scriptures, but it is so deep and so profound. He was a world-class biblical scholar, in addition to being a holy man and and being um, a tremendous theologian. The Church was so blessed in Pope Benedict. He really loved the scriptures and understood the scripture is the written word of God, just as much as Jesus Christ is the word of God incarnate.
1: Well said. Thank you, Mary. Beautiful. Beautiful.
4: Thank you. Thank you for taking the call.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm just smiling, Jesse, because I get to hear that every day when I go home.
2: Amen. (laughs) That's right. Hey, um, uh, just real quickly. Yeah. I want to, you know, I know that this is being broadcast on radio yeah, and not, not all of the Virgin most powerful programs because they're podcasts. Yes. Only some of them are, are, are broadcast on radio. Right. And so if you don't get Mary Danielle's show in your oh. um, market, you know, go to vmpr.org and download our smartphone app every week. Um, Mary Barber, that's right, a uh, uh, master's degree in theology. She has a terrific program, a Bible with the Barbers. And, uh, and it is well worth your time. Great. Amen. Thank, yes. you,
4: Thank, God
1: you. Thank you, Matthew. God bless you guys. We're getting lots of texts from people, but Mr. Engineer, if we have Dan on the line, we'd like to take Dan next. If not, I'll, get, I'll turn it over to Jesse. Thank not yet. Go ahead, Jess.
0: Yeah, Terry, uh, one, one of the things that I believe that Pope Benedict will be known for, uh, he gave us the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Right. And I know um, people would like to change it, and people want to continue uh, acting as a, as if the catechism evolves. That's why I tell, the the catechism that I use, when I use a new catechism, I use the one that was issued in 1994. That's the one that I use. I don't use anything after that because uh, everybody keeps putting their hands in the cookie jar and they want to tweak it here, tweak it there. I, I just take the one that Ratzinger came out with and 11 other cardinals came out with. And it was uh, that's the one that Pope John Paul II wrote. This is a sure norm of the yeah. Catholic faith, a sure deposit right. of the faith. Yeah. That's the one that I use, the one that initially came out. Uh, and, and one of the things that he's going to be known for is that phrase, uh, the hermeneutic of continuity. He fought all his life as as a cardinal yes. and as a pope to implement the hermeneutic of continuity. But I'll just be honest with you. By the time he was uh, in, the later, in his latter years, there was already too many wolves in the church yeah. in high places that undermined him every step of the way, as he tried to implement the hermeneutic of continuity. They wanted the hermeneutic of rupture, which is another word that he came up with, which clearly mm-hmm. defines the goal of the modernists and what they've been doing since the end of the council.
2: Well, now, can I can I just comment on that yes, real quick? Yes, absolutely. You know that that term hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is is your your interpretational key, if That's you right. will. And so he said, and he was basically. You know, the, the elephant in the room is the Second Vatican Council. And so when he says hermeneutic continuity, he's saying, look, you have to interpret the Second Vatican Council in light of the tradition of the church. Yes. That, that there's a continuity as opposed to the hermeneutic of rupture where you look at Vatican II as if it were a new start from zero. And so and you have people on both extremes on the far right and the far left who, who say, oh, no, the church today is not the church that it was before Vatican II. You know that there that there has been this complete rupture, and it's so important that people. I mean, conceptually, objectively, it's the same church as it's always been, mm-hmm. but as far as you know the the praxis, you know, on the ground, it might as well be a different church for an awful lot of people. You know, and so I think that it, it's not only important to to interpret, uh, um, you know, these these like the Second Vatican Council, in light of the tradition of the Church, and not to reinterpret the tradition of the Church in light of Vatican II.
1: Well said, Dan Schneider, you're on the air here with Terry, Jesse, and Matt, and I'd like to have you jump in and talk about what Your thoughts. Benedict heads for you and as a uh, as a Scripture man and a guy that loves the Church and Jesus. Welcome, my friend.
5: Yeah, no, I, I agree with Matt. I mean, that's spot on with the—I uh, mm-hmm. I think the real time bomb, theological time bomb, is is this key understanding of rupture yeah. Versus uh, uh, continuity, mm-hmm. and also his his um, his theology of his theology of tradition and how he engages biblical scholarship truly changed uh, uh, the way modern Catholic scholarship moved. I mean, if you if you look at even you know Scott Doctor Scott Hahn, for example, mm-hmm. heavily influenced oh. by 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 then Cardinal Ratzinger's writings, his understanding of the fourfold layering in the scriptural tradition, how scripture is interpreted, the old Testament from the new, the new into, or the gospels into the new Testament, the new Testament into the early reception of the church, how, how doctrine develops along this schema and, con- and so, uh, I, the concepts and, and theological ideas move and develop in tradition in a way, again, that is, that is, that is organic and, and not a complete rupture. It's a seamless thing. And this, this, his contribution, I think is, is is yet still to be to be um really impact. Uh his his impact on biblical scholarship, it's still there's still much more for us to, to, to really dig into to understand what Amen. what he really brought to the church. Yeah.
2: Good.
1: Well Dan, anything else you'd like to say about Pope Benedict before we let you go? Anything else no, personally? No, I, I okay.
5: Think, I think All right. we, we pray for him. We Amen. we pray for his soul, like we pray for every soul, and we just give thanks to God for giving us such a such Amen. a great uh shepherd. For the years, the short years that we had him.
1: Well said, Dan. Yeah. Thank you for calling in, brother.
2: Yeah, boy, and boy, what, what? Uh, that's an important insight. You know, the influence that he's had as oh. a biblical scholar, Phew. and you know, I mean, that is that that young Presbyterian minister would not be Catholic if it hadn't been that's for Joseph Ratzinger. You wouldn't have Brent would, the, Petries,
1: the Doctor Barbers, all these yeah. Bergsma, all these guys. Yep, you're right. Yeah,
2: you l- you look at everybody that Scott Hahn influenced, and you think that if it you know if it wasn't for Joe Ratzinger, there wouldn't have been any caught on.
1: Well said, then. Yeah, it's amazing. If, if
5: you, when you listen to if you listen to Dr Dr. Hahn's his 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 deep understanding of scripture, mm-hmm. if you understand and, and the more you understand Ratzinger's writings, you see the tremendous influence on, on Dr. Hahn, admittedly. Um, it really influenced him, and in many, many uh, again, these great Protestant uh, now converts, now uh, great thinkers that have now come into the church has been heavily influenced by by Cardinal Ratzinger, who laid the, the philosophical and theological foundation for yeah. for a way that script that modern biblical scholars can engage the world yeah. in a modern way. Um, uh, but but still stay faithful to the Church's teachings on Scripture and tradition.
1: Awesome. I want to recommend everybody to get the Inerrancy of Scripture by Dr. Scott Hahn that we published years ago. It's about an eight-and-a-half-hour course. Incredibly important today in the Church about the Bible. With This is uh, something they can get by calling 877 526 They'll call you back and get that for you because this is— really something that's critical for all people who read the Bible. Thanks again, Dan, for calling in, brother.
5: Okay, thank you. Take care. God
1: love you. God bless. I'd I'd like to ask you, Jesse and Matt, uh, there are two documents that were released by Pope Benedict in 2007 and 2013, where he modified the rules governing the papal conclave, which was, you know, okay, which has been somewhat erased by his predecessor, but he restored the necessary majority of the two-thirds of the papal electors and this is something that he t- said. He declared excommunication, automatic punishment for breaking the oath of secrecy surrounding the conclave. And we know that this happened in 2013 with the McCarrick, and we call him the, the mafia. The uh, what's that? St. Gallen mafia. mafia. Yeah, the St. Gellin it one. Seems to me that uh, that might, uh, if that was implemented, because everything he does isn't getting implemented, obviously. But I want to get your take on that issue and much more about the great life of Pope Benedict XVI, who passed away. And his funeral will be January 5th in Rome. Pope Francis will be leading that. And I think Anita made a good point. We should all watch that pontifical mass. It's always a powerful experience. Again, when we come back, we'll talk more about Pope Benedict's life and and what he had to do, how he affected the church and I just want to mention one thing that I remember when he was first Pope, and this is something when we come back, how many German bishops turned their back on him when he went to visit. What? That's a fact, and much more. This is a man who emulated Jesus Christ in a powerful way. Stay with us, family.
4: Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 888- 526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse.
1: I hope you're enjoying this as much as Matt and Jess and myself are talking about uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth and his life. I also just want to thank him because I go to an Anglican Ordinariate Mass. <laughs> I, that wouldn't be taking place without Pope Benedict.
0: That's true. Yeah. That's so, true. Hey, quick... hey, my, my comments on Pope Benedict is, admittedly, people that have interviewed him, and people that have written articles after having spoken to him and have uh and and have read his great works he he did develop because in the sixties he had more of a liberal bent when it came to theology yep. he was uh True. Seven, yeah he seven, was he seven, he was good friends with all the all the all the left back in the sixties as a House young yeah, yeah as as a young expert at Vatican too yeah but shortly after the counselor, you can start seeing that he started going through an, he going through an evolution of thought. That's right. And uh, 19, in 1969, again, the prophetic side of him started coming out again. In 69, he made this statement radio. on a German radio statement. He said this, and this applies to what's happening right now. He said exactly. this, quote, from the crisis of today, the church of tomorrow will emerge. A church <laughs> that has lost much, she will become small. And we'll have to start afresh, more or less from the beginning. What will remain is the Church of Jesus Christ, the Church that believes in the God who has become man and promises life beyond death. He said this in 1965. Wow. Those words are being lived right now in the Catholic Church.
1: And, and you know, Matthew, our mid-Jesse, that statement right there is powerful. I read Father Murr was talking about this. Uh, about 1977 is when Cardinal Ratzinger... Uh, decided it changed his whole view of saying that this progressivism is leading us outside the church and it's just powerful because um he was a peritus at as you say at the Vatican II council and uh it's just amazing because today many people you know cringe when pope Pr- pope Fran- pope no pope benedict became the pope in 2005 because they were afraid of him because of his orthodoxy and I just seem to think, and I'll just say this, Matt, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that uh, if, in fact, he would have stayed on and not retired, I don't think things would have been as bad a- at all in the church in the sense of what's going on in Germany, what's going on in America, all over the world, and the the deal in China that we cut, I don't, Benedict wouldn't cut that deal. So my point, and I'm just saying what if is not a big deal, but... Yeah. The point of it is, is this: I pray that Pope Benedict, now that he's passed, he please get to heaven. He will intercede even more for us in heaven because the Church is in desperate need of him today. That's my
2: take. Right. Obviously, uh, nothing happens that God doesn't will or allow, right. and He has certainly allowed the situation. Right. <clears throat> Something I've thought about a great deal. I'm sure you guys have as well. Uh, sociologists have have pointed out over the last few centuries there's like a forty year pendulum swing where things kind of go uh, more traditional or more conservative and then they swing back more liberal and you can and you can actually kind of chart it out you can look at you know popular songs and popular movies and 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 uh, pol- political elections you can see these movements obviously you know the difference between Eisenhower in the in the 50s and and Johnson in the 60s. I mean could it have, could it have been more different, you know? Or 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 uh you know the Ronald Reagan uh Pope John Paul yeah. Margaret Thatcher days versus our own days. You know, you can see that pendulum swinging. The thing is the pendulum was swinging back to the conservative traditional side and certainly that's where the people were.
1: Yes.
2: But it didn't complete, I, I think for the first time in a long time, it didn't complete the swing. That, that, you know, because, and we see that in, in the resignation of Benedict. We see that in the overthrow of the Trump administration. Yes. Right? Yep. I, again, yeah, yeah. It, you know, yeah. if Benedict had stayed Pope, what, what, what if, uh, if uh, Trump had stayed president? There's a whole range of calamities that I can think in my what-if scenario would never have happened true, if man. he'd been at the helm. Instead of you know essentially running America from Brussels, right you know um, so i think, I think that 's an interesting thing because it means one of two things: either you know the end of the world is coming, <laughs> you know or this is this is progressivism 's last gasp. They are throwing everything but the kitchen sink yeah. into the battle because because they know that their time is short
1: well said, Matt, Jesse, are your thoughts on the spiritual side huh?
2: yeah there, there's two people actually
0: that T- talking and these aren't conspiracy theories these are people there's there's a lot of documentation on this barack obama and you can just type in uh, obama says he got rid of pope ba- there's one article after another from we're talking about the mainstream media uh even some of the underground media breitbart.com weeklyworldnews.com pope resigns and obama's so barack obama's actually said on youtube that he had something to do with the resignation of pope benedict Uh, you can Mm. read that for yourself absolutely that he pressured him to resign also and we're talking, you know, this is, these are the underhanded things that happen behind closed doors. Also, you can see many articles that have been written on the fact that McCarrick actually says that he manipulated the conclave and he's the one that caused Bergoglio to be elected. Yep. And again, so right. the things that happen in politics, stolen elections, trust me, the same underhanded things happen in the Catholic Church.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the... the the, the takeaway from this is not to be, you know, upset or discouraged or anything, but just to be aware. You know, we have we have a lot of work to do in in the spiritual side of things in regard to our prayer and so forth, and we need not to be blind. And I think also in in defense of Pope Benedict, I, this is something that maybe everybody hasn't taken into account. Because I know a lot of people, especially on the on the conservative traditional side, were very upset with him mm-hmm. for his resignation. Right. But I can tell you right now that looking at his governance and his writings over his long career as a, as a prelate that he took very seriously, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that it must needs that scandals come, but woe unto that man by whom they come. Wow. Remember what he said? Yes. B- better, better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be yes. thrown into the depths of the sea and yep. scandalize the little ones. Yep. And I think it's entirely possible that he didn't want to be the source of that scandal that would shipwreck people's faith.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a, could possibly be, it, Matt. Yeah, good insight. Yeah. One
0: of the one of the things that also that got him uh, made him enemies of the left, of the political and the religious left, was the fact that he he wrote very clearly and denunciated yep. uh, certain aspects of liberation theology. That's right. Yep. And, and and this criticism, this is something that that was being practiced by the Catholic left in Latin America, south of the border from Tijuana all the way to the tip of Brazil. And he was very, very, uh, uh, he denounced it very strongly because he saw the Marxist infiltration within this theological system, and that, mm-hmm. again, that made him a lot of enemies in high places.
1: And I remember the document, I just had it last week in my living room 1985, and he said that liberation from sin, not liberation from some political perspective, is the key. And he said they are they are not compatible. Those are the words he used. Christianity mm-hmm. and liberation theology are not compatible. God rest his soul for just saying yes.
0: that. Well, I think mm-hmm. one of the things he'll be known for is again his 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 high view of scripture. We should we oh. just say his ca- his Catholic yeah. view of scripture. Yeah, and I and I yeah and I think this is the biggest problem that we're facing right now is that we have prelates we have clergy in high places, believe. they have lost their supernatural faith in the word of God. Yeah. I mean you'll even have people like Father James Martin who speaks with the authority of the Pope. Uh, he'll say, Scripture's just patently wrong on this, Scripture's wrong on that. Uh, and, and so, again, many people in high places that speak on behalf of, of Pope Francis or his, or his emissaries, they'll say that the Scripture is wrong. And this is what Cardinal Ratzinger was known for, his high premium on the Word of God, the fact that God's Word is true, infallible, and inerrant.
1: Well said, yeah. Jesse.
2: You know, um, if if I can, Here. I know Go. that we're, you know, got just a few minutes Go. left. Um you're talking about his legacy. What will he be remembered for? And I, you, you mentioned his scholarship. I mentioned the uh, on Pontificum, mm-hmm. and and it is, it's his lasting legacy is going to be for us to remember the things that he emphasized the most. I mean, it is the doom of men that they forget. Yeah, and and he he was um, he was a, a profound biblical scholar. He reminded us that truth is real because the word of God isn't just a book; it's a person. Amen that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, I'm piggybacking that right off of what Mary Danielle said. Yeah,
1: that's right.
2: Uh, through, through his liturgies, and I'm talking about his Novus Ordo liturgies. Yes. And through yeah. his love of classical music. Oh, yeah. And, 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 of course, especially his liberation of the traditional mass, he reminded us that beauty is powerful. Yeah. And that even, and even the fall couldn't change the fact that life is fundamentally good, that, that we've been redeemed because we are redeemable.
1: Amen. Yes. Amen. And
2: and, you know, and it's just and we just we can't forget.
1: And go to Ignatius Press. They have some specials right now on book. book oh, books. bet. Books. No, they really do, Matt. <coughs> yeah. And uh, the Spirit of the Liturgy is a book that I would recommend every listener to get a copy of. That Father Fessio, the publisher, said that. And of all the books they've published at Ignatius Press, that's his favorite book that they ever published, and it's a great book on the liturgy. And I really think that. You know, we have a line that says the way you worship is the way you believe. We've got to get that right. And I would just want to uh, encourage anyone who's in an area where they can go to an Anglican ordinariate mass like I do here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Come to that mass. It's ad orientum. We kneel for a holy communion. I'll give you an example. My grandson who's two and a half years old. practiced saying mass. He said, Grandpa, kneel down. I'm going to give you holy communion. <laughs> he got the message. This is important today. Down. He told me kneel down. He didn't tell Greg. you to
0: put your paws out No. Yeah. <laughs> the point
1: I'm trying to convey is you go to you go to the liturgy, the way you worship is the way you believe. And so we really need to get our worship right if we're going to get anything right about Jesus Christ.
2: Amen. Amen. Your final thing. Yeah. I
0: yeah. Well, last thing I'd like to say is uh, I attend a, a Latin mass here at a, at a diocesan parish over here in Phoenix, and uh, there's several parishes that offer the Latin Mass in Diocese and Parish. And I can just tell you this, if it wasn't for Pope Benedict, uh none of us would be have none of us would have the capacity or ability to go to a Latin mass because uh the, uh, the theological and the religious left would like to do away with it because once again it places a high premium On the Eucharist, when you go to a Latin Mass, you know that Jesus Christ is really present, body, blood, soul, divinity. You don't have to guess.
1: No, read the prayer. And at the Anglican Ordinary, we have those same prayers in English. I was just thinking about that Sunday, and I looked to my wife after Mass. I said, honey, when you read that prayer before you receive Holy Communion, you know exactly who you're receiving.
2: Yeah. Uh, Terry, you... Uh, our, our Pope emeritus yeah. he's the first time there's been a Pope emeritus he's not the first one to resign that's a different but he's the first one but he's the first one to lie in state and Terry can before we go can you share with us what you told me about what were his last words
1: oh gosh I forgot his last words were Jesus I love you what a statement to say that's what my Dr Michael Barber yeah. my nephew told me he read that Jesus, I love you. Let's all say it together, gentlemen. Jesus, Jesus I, love you. I love you. Jesse I love you. Romero, what state should we be living in, brother?
0: The Jesus I love you state, which is me, which is basically living in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of <laughs> mortal sin. Yes. Surrender. Open your heart to Jesus Christ and be holy or die trying. Take it away. Take
1: Absolutely. Away. Remember, Our Lady of Fatima said it. And she said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. If Benedict was alive, he'd say, implement Fatima. I love Our Lady. Hey, let's make sacrifices today for the salvation of souls and every day so that our prayers are like smoke going up into the air. May God richly bless you. And I wish you a happy new year and and also an active Christmas season that we still have, the Octopus Christmas. May God richly bless you and to the camp, black